Hey yogis, it's Henry Winslow here, host of the Dharma Talk podcast. And since we've been gone for two weeks, I decided I wanted to surprise you with a little bonus episode this week to kick things back off. This episode is going to be a little bit different because I'm being interviewed for a change. I was recently featured in the Business of Yoga speaker series with a woman named Amy McDonald, who is a spiritual business coach, a yoga teacher, and herself a podcast host. Her podcast is called The Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. And if you like this interview, I encourage you to go check out her podcast and subscribe, and you can follow along with the content that she's putting out. Amy also runs full-on coaching programs to help yoga teachers bring more abundance into their careers. So if that's of interest, you can find out the information of how you can work with her through her podcast and her website and all of that good stuff. Now about this interview, we talk um, not just about the business of yoga, despite the name of the series. We have a pretty wide-ranging conversation. We start by talking about the origins and mission of modern-day yoga competitions, the yoga championships. We also talk about reconciling the reality of abuse and trauma in the yoga system with the value of these underlying teachings. In other words, separating the teachings from the teacher in some cases. We talk about why I created Dharma Talk and what I love about podcasting. And finally, we have a nice conversation about embracing entrepreneurship as a yoga teacher and integrating yogic values into a conscious business. So no announcements this week. Just stick around through the music and we'll dive into Amy McDonald's interview with me. What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your dharma. It's Amy McDonald here. Welcome back to the Business of Yoga Speaker Series. We're going to have a great conversation today with uh, my new bendy friend, Henry Winslow. Welcome to the series. Great to have you here. Thank you, Amy. It's my pleasure to be on here. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, you bet. Whereabouts are you in on the planet right now, Henry? On planet Earth in yes. New York State, United States, Brooklyn, to be specific. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Now I've got a now I've got a picture. Um, so, folks, if you haven't met Henry before, we're going to obviously talk with him, and um, he's got oodles of cool stuff to talk about. I, I, some things that he might not know. I want to ask him, but I'm going to. But before we do that, I'm going to read you Henry's official bio, so you, you have a sense of who he is, and you can go check him out while we're chatting, if you like. So, Henry Winslow is a dedicated yoga practitioner of nine years, whose teaching is rooted in the Ghosh, Ashtanga, and Dharma yoga traditions. Well, you're in the right neighborhood for that. I guess. In 2018, Henry took his first place in the International Yoga Sport Federation's World Championships. You bet I want to know more about that. Although strength and flexibility initially attracted him to the mat and remain a focal point for his teaching, his appreciation for the practice has since expanded beyond the physical. Yes. To Henry, yoga is above all else a tool for cultivating clarity through workshops, private and group classes, and his podcast, Dharma Talk. Henry empowers students worldwide to connect to their innermost selves where our natural resilience, unlimited power, and universal compassion 
reside. I like that phrase, universal compassion. We need so much more of that right now. We do. We need oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. We need to. We need We're to working on it. Metastasize that out from all of the little hubs of yogis. I like that. All right, Henry, we've got to start with these championships. T- fill me in because I, okay. I came up in the Shivananda tradition and like, which is, I think if you swung a pendulum, you would hit the, that and then you would hit the championships. Tell me about to- it. Total opposite end of the spectrum in yeah. terms of competitive attitude. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So let, let me give you kind of the, the background on all of that. The, the competitions that I competed in are definitely more connected to the Bikram yoga lineage. Bikram actually created these, uh, these competitions. He, his wife, Rajasri Chowdhury, created the USA Yoga Organization many years ago. I think sometime early 2000s was the first one, and it was first called the Ghosh Cup, and he named it after his teacher, Vishnu Ghosh. Yes. And then over the years, um, they started to crystallize their mission, what really the purpose of these competitions was, and the way that Rajasri always put it was, I want this to be something that makes yoga more attractive to America's youth. Cool. She grew up practicing yoga as a child. And she saw that although yoga was getting very popular in the United States, it was still something that was more attractive to adults. And, you know, as we're growing up and going through all of these, like, kind of like coming of age, rites of passage, yoga can be there to support you through that too. And knowing that in the West, you know, we have soccer practice and swim team and gymnastics, all these things that are geared around competition as a way to drive people to be committed towards something. She said, okay, let's leverage that and, and make yoga fit the framework that people are used to here. Um, So over the years, it started to expand out a little bit more. And while it's still definitely um, skewed toward the Bikram community, it's opened up and there are people competing from all different uh, styles of yoga. I think it's amazing. Didn't, doesn't Bikram in his lineage, doesn't he have that, um, it's not called bodybuilding, what's it called? Physical, like there is that sort of competitive nature of the human form as oh, well. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He was a bodybuilder before yeah. he ever practiced asana. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I so that think... That makes sense too, like if you're bringing that in with you. Totally, yeah, yeah. And there was certainly that kind of, um, that attitude around sculpting the body as a way to go deeper um, yeah. that, that permeated that, that style of yoga and, and fits right into the competition um, atmosphere. Yeah. But my experience doing these competitions, you know, I did them for five years before I made it to the internationals and ended up winning the internationals um, was actually a really great way for me to go deeper into my practice. And I can, I can totally hear the criticism. You know, yoga is not competitive. It's not about beating another person. And I'll tell you that every person that I've ever like connected with at these competitions feels the same way. It's not. It, the competition but I, is actually. But surely it's about, um, like I wouldn't have thought about, I'm going to kick his ass. And actually it's about, yeah. I'm, you know, this is my own um, sadhana. I'm going to like be the best version of myself. I'm going to like, I, I imagine it's an yeah. internal competition competition if anything exactly it's a competition of can can you steady your mind can you be with the true self if you want to go if you want to take it to that extreme um when all the pressure is on and to practice yoga and be still and to control your nervous system when you've got a panel of judges literally watching you waiting for you to fall is next level yoga practice 
So do you come up, do you, do they tell you the sequences or the pose or is that part of what you have to determine? There, there's some guideline around what sort of postures you can do. Everybody gets a three minute routine and at least the way the rules are set up now, it's definitely evolved over time. But yeah. at the moment there, there's a three minute rot- routine where you do six postures. The first four, um, you have a round spine forward fold, then you have a back bend then you have a straight spine, traction, forward fold, and then a twist. So you're going four directions of the spine. Yep. Then you have two optional postures that you pick from an approved list of optionals. That This is where you like pull out your bag of tricks and do your craziest things. But even in those first four, you have some options. There's like a degree of difficulty assigned to one of three postures in each category, and you can pick and choose whichever ones you want to do, and your raw score is multiplied by the degree of difficulty. It's very similar to something like springboard diving or gymnastics or figure skating in that way subjective but with some objective guidelines and criteria that they're looking for i was just thinking if um if that was amy circa like 1991 and she turns up at the championships with her shiv and under like there'd be three minutes by the time i do shavasana in between everything i get like (laughs) mountain and then i'm done (laughs) done done yeah those three minutes go by super quick yeah (laughs) And so when you won, like, do you get a trophy? What do you get as being the winner? Yeah, I got a medal. And also they, they, they have sponsors at the competitions um, that can give you like, that give some of the medalist prizes, like a, like a voucher toward a teacher training that's, that's related. There were some teacher trainings that were sponsoring the event this past year. I don't know. I just think that much mobility in your spine, like deserves more than a coupon for a teacher training. Seriously, folks. Henrywins.com yeah. is Henry's like go look at the arsenal we're talking about. It's nuts. Man. Okay, that's cool. And so so you did all of that. You you won the world championship. Like and then what? Is it sort of like a like I, I mean I've never been a competitive sporty person, so yeah. I, I don't know what it's like to achieve the highest level and then I imagine you get a bit of a huh. The, when you get you there. know, I never, I never really wrapped up my identity in the competition, uh, and I. There were many people who who took an approach to these competitions where let me figure out my what my routine is and drill it over and over again, get it perfect so I don't even have to think about it. And my approach to training for these was was never that. I actually never really thought about the competitions. I just wanted to keep doing my practice the way that I would anyway. For a few reasons. First of all, because I'm not doing yoga to to win a competition. Yeah. It's just kind of like a nice checkpoint along the way to to measure your progress and, and connect with people and have fun. Yeah. Partly because of that, and also partly because I saw that hitting those drilling those routines where you're doing one side over and over again actually oh. is not, not good for the body. Really? Like that could actually do a lot more damage than good. So I, I never really spent much time thinking about the competitions, honestly. So you're um, one of those annoying people at high school who never studied for the exams and always got really good marks, right? Well, I don't think that's fair to say because I was <laughs> practicing really intensely and, and consistently, but I just wasn't practicing my routine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've only um, done a little bit of Bikram in my time, and because I have a pitta dosha, it's freaking addictive when I do go to classes. One of the things I do appreciate it is about it so much is that the sense of community. Like, like we're in this together, kind oh, of. Yeah. That, that if I just rock into a vinyasa class somewhere where I don't know anybody, it doesn't have that same kind of, okay, everybody, 
the doors are closed and we're going somewhere. It really does have a strong sense of cooler about it, I think, as a lineage. Yeah, I think it does have that cooler, that 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 community, that sangha effect. Yeah. Um, you don't see that quite as much anymore, uh, just due to the nature of like all the politics around Bikram yeah. and all of the the sexual abuse and and all of that. It really took the the brand of Bikram Yoga. It, it tanked it. Um, you see yeah. that, and a lot of the studios that offer that lineage and that school of yoga, because there's definitely still a lot of value in that. I personally believe it's a very therapeutic practice that 26 yeah. and 2 sequence but even so you see a lot of the studios that continue to offer it drop the name out and yeah. um, a lot of people walked away from from the community because of that and with with good reason i i totally respect that it's really tricky stuff isn't it and and, and i mean i imagine that you and i could talk for hours on this topic but, and we won't but it is i mean i came up through anusara with my teacher training and not to the same extent but it was part of why I left that tradition, why my teacher left. We're seeing it, what, all this stuff with Ashtanga at the moment. It makes for, yeah. it's, it's complex when the teachings are so good. Um, and yet, yeah. it's, it's complicated yeah. territory. It's, and it's even more complicated by the fact that it's really hard to look at any lineage of yoga and, and find a, a spotless record. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, you know, we take... We take what we want from it and um, without denying past experiences, I think it's possible to, to reconcile like, what is this, what, what is the use for this for yes. me and in, yes. in, in the current day? Yeah. What, is, what are the that. gems? I'm going to take those and like, yeah, was that the hala hala? I'm going to leave that behind. <laughs> All right. So, so I want to talk next about your podcast because I'm a podcaster okay. as well. And I'm, right. I'm a, I say with, pride i am a podcast slut i listen to a lot of podcasts and sometimes i'm not very discerning but yours exceptional tell us about it how did and why did you decide to go do that um well the reason why i decided to create dharma talk is um much like you i listen to a lot of podcasts and i think you know that's very common the people who want to create on the podcasting platform also are the ones who are consuming on there because you really, you see how, how special it is to connect to someone through the sound of their voice. Um, and it, as far as like the, the digestibility, I, I don't know about you, but I don't know the last time that I like sat down and watched a full length um, YouTube video or something. It's much easier to, uh, to listen to a podcast because you can have it going while you're driving your car or something. So yeah. I found myself listening to a lot of podcasts yeah. and while I'm sure there were other ones out there that would have appealed to me, I listened to a few yoga podcasts and I didn't really find what I was looking for. And my first instinct was like, okay, this is frustrating. And my second instinct after I sat with it was like, well, why don't I create it? Awesome. Like, why don't I make this thing? And, um, and that's, there's a lesson in that too. It's like, if there's a problem that you don't feel is solved, then as an entrepreneur, you know, in the yoga space or, or otherwise, like you can solve it. You can be the person to go in there and fulfill that unmet need. That's something that I really picked up in your bio, that sort of sentiment of uh, like tapping the inner, inner reserve. Uh, unlimited power is the phrase that you use. Like and, uh, that's what I'm hearing you say here is like you, if there's a problem, you can find a solution and actually turn it to, into something that's pleasurable and also profitable. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Dharma Talk podcast is not especially profitable. I'll I'll be upfront about that. Um, <laughs> it's not it's not it's not a high cost hobby 
you know, it, it doesn't really take a whole lot to start a podcast. You know, you pay for the media hosting. And if you've already got a domain because you've already got a, a business and a website up, really, that's your only added cost plus a couple one-time things to get your equipment or whatever. But um, it has, I think probably it is profitable at this point because I've had a few sponsors and um, what really surprised me is the outpouring of support through just voluntary yes. donations. I threw wow. up a PayPal button and people appreciate the podcast and it, you know, more than the financial contribution that just like warms my heart because it tells me that people really value what, what is being created. And I can't take full credit for it either because my show is, is an interview show similar to what you're yes. doing right now. Well, true know? that, but I mean, I'm sure if you listen to us, if you binge as many podcasts as I do, it doesn't matter how good the guest is if the host is rubbish. Like I'm sure you've sat through and was like, oh, yeah. please ask an intelligent <laughs> question. Like it's, it's not just as simple as having good talent turn up. To yeah, yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that you're getting, um, that people are giving you dana with the PayPal button. Like this is in our tradition. I really yeah. like that people are, and I can, yeah, I imagine that just, it's not about um, uh, the amount, but it's the fact that it happens at all would be. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't really matter how much is, is donated. Of course, you know, every bit counts, but just the fact that somebody made the gesture is like yes. all I need to keep going. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Okay. So, so folks, uh, Dharma talks, uh, Dharma talk, go subscribe to it. Like, and, and, Leave some Dana. That would be fun. Oh, I want to see a spike. Oh, come on, everybody. Go give him Yeah, a do that. Or you can also leave a review. That also helps yeah. a ton totally. because it bumps it up in the algorithm, makes it easier for other people to find the show. Totally. Folks, like as we're both, we're both podcasters, for any of the podcasts that you listen to, be a sweetheart. It really does make a difference. Like it takes nothing yeah, yeah. to just, and for yeah. all the podcasts that you love. It takes 15 seconds of your time. Really and say, I love this show. Please keep making it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So here's one thing that you have that I don't have. And now I'm a little bit, not that I should be because I'm a very teeny uh, covetous of. You have merch, Henry. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I do have merch. Tell us about your merch. Yeah, there's, if you go to my website and you go to the, the page on there for the podcast, which is henrywins.com slash Dharma Talk, or you can navigate there through the, the nav at the top. Um, if you scroll down, there's a little, there's a little store, there's a shop um, that was actually pulled together by my friend, Will Jones, who was a guest on the show um, <laughs> in the first three episodes. I launched the show with three episodes and he was one of them. He's a hilarious guy and he's an entrepreneur himself behind the company. We are yoga. They make, um, they make mat towel combinations that are very popular in Bikram studios called way mats. Oh. Oh. But, um, what part of his business now is he creates what he calls team shops and he'll like put your logo. If you're a yoga studio or a yoga business person or whatever, um, on a bunch of merch and he handles all of that, the logistics behind building out the store and everything. And it comes with, you know, technical support to embed it onto your website. So I barely did anything again. I'm, there's a common theme here. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm hearing is, um, an intelligent investment of your energy, actually. That's <laughs> what we need to get this guy next time or for the series. What a cool service. I, you know, you yeah, cool. So hang on, Amy, finish this point first. I'm so excited about this. Like I want all of the things. I want all of the pants. I want all of the, listen to me, <laughs> grasping, grasping. 
I've been doing yoga for 32 years. I want all the things. Go have a look, everybody. But more importantly, like subscribe to Dharma Talks and get on that and listen to it. Great guest, lots of episodes, Henry. How long have you been doing yeah, I, um, I launched this show in March of last year. March, uh, what year are we in? That was 2018. Yeah. Uh, and I come out with a new episode every Thursday. Yeah, cool. Very consistent about that. So we're... I think I just re- just launched episode 58, I think, this past Thursday. Jai fired. Nice one. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so subscribe, peruse the store. I like the crop T-shirt myself. Um, yeah. Cool logo, too, with logo. Like the lotus and the microphone. I mean, it's just... Thank you. Yeah. Nice. If you need help getting a logo made for your business, I highly recommend 99designs. That's where I did it. It's like a crowdsourcing platform where a bunch of different design. You put out a brief, like a creative brief, a bunch of designers pitch out ideas, and then you like cull it down and select someone. You pay after you choose the one that you like. So really the artists are, are bidding to you. So folks, you thought that we were going to have a talk about yoga businesses, but actually this is just an episode of the series where Henry's going to hook you up with everything that you need to be awesome, which is super. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, next I want to talk about, you used the word entrepreneur a bunch of times, and which I love because I believe that whether you knew it in advance, when you decided to become a yoga teacher, in fact, you just you became an entrepreneur, whether you're a subcontractor at a studio or you rent your own space or you open your own studio, that's the nature of it. You are now a business owner. But a lot of people actually um, that have this resistance to it and this fear of, well, I didn't become a yoga teacher to do all of this business stuff. I just became a yoga teacher to teach yoga. You seem very confident in your use of that word. And I'm curious to know, like it seems like there's an easy affinity there. Did you ever have that block of, oh, I'm spiritual, I don't do business, or does it just seem to make sense for you? It does make sense to me, and I don't see a conflict between spirituality and business. Um, you know, you got to operate within the fame framework of the society you live in, and um, entrepreneurship is it can be a very spiritual practice it takes a lot of surrender it takes a lot of discipline it's a lot like yoga in that way yeah yeah Um, opportunity for self-reflection totally yeah Yeah. self in every every bit of it yeah Um, i didn't have a lot of resistance to to acknowledging the business that's or the business mindset that's required to be a self-starter in that way partly probably because of the contrast in what I was coming from. So before I was a, a full-time yoga teacher, I worked in corporate America as, in pharmaceutical advertising, which is like total other, end, total other end of the spectrum. Um, you know, I, I, growing up, I wanted to be a doctor. I was very interested in, in like biology and science. Uh, my parents were both doctors, but as I got older, I decided I didn't want to do that but I was still interested in like health and medicine. So somehow that ended me up in pharmaceutical advertising. But at around the same time is when I started practicing yoga. I was 20 when I started practicing. Yeah. And it was not long at all before I was totally hooked and practicing every single day. And as someone working in an agency job in New York City, that was like what kept me alive. Like if I had not been at the Bikram studio, that's what it was back back for me yeah. at that point was Bikram every morning, 6.30 a.m. I wouldn't have been able to make it through that period of my life. Okay. Um, 
But over time, practicing yoga regularly and consistently, what happens, as I'm sure many of your watchers, listeners know, is you you start to not be able to look away from the truth of what's going on. It yeah. brings you clarity on your own value system, moral compass, and and things that give you life. Yeah. And even though I wasn't even really ready to admit it to myself, the yoga practice gradually like tore me away from that job and just made it unreasonable to continue moving on. Mm. So I, I had that in my background of, mm. of, of work and knowing what it's like to work for someone else and get that steady paycheck and to trade <laughs> you know, a lot of your prana. You're trading your life force energy to, to have that reliable security. Yeah. Um, but then once I moved away from that, it was like a very clear conscious decision. Okay, I'm on my own. I'm working for myself now, which comes with a lot of pros. It also comes with some challenges. Yeah. What so I, fa- I face that head on. I, I want to ask you about the challenges, but before we do, for folks who don't live in the States, in America and the TV, they have these ads for, I just couldn't help but think about this. They have these ads for pharmaceutical products that are really yes. long. Like the very start of the ad tells you about why you should get these drugs. And then there's like, all this time where you see children in fields and husband and wife like glowing at each other where the person in the background is talking about all of the things that could go wrong with the drugs. Yeah. So yeah. What, what I imagine, what, when you were telling me about your background, Henry, I'm thinking, well, you, that part at the end where people are like, oh, look, it's a, it's a Labrador. <laughs> and they're talking about all the things that, you know, you could die from these pills. Actually, you're now giving yeah. people that part without the big farmer like it's a, you're getting the vibe of it's a labrador i love my wife because they're getting yoga instead of big farmer yeah i love it like yeah. you're still, you're you know still it's it's crazy, it's crazy. It, yeah i'm still running through the fields <laughs> but now you don't have to read the fair balance that comes no. with it. that's what we call that <laughs> yeah um, right. it's totally crazy you know that in the u.s the u.s is one of like two countries i think in the entire world that allows um direct prescription pharmaceutical advertisements to patients versus to doctors who are the ones making the prescription decision. And, um, you know, it's like, it's a whole complicated world. We could talk about that too, but it's not totally relevant. So let's, I just like the fact that people are still getting the point that actually, without the point that I actually do want to make about that is that it was the total opposite of my natural belief. <laughs> my natural intuition was my entire life, I was averted from taking medicine. Even though I did have this attraction to biology and the science of, of human healing, I, I never wanted to take medication as a little kid. I resisted it. I never wanted to go to the doctor. And even though that seems so obvious as an adult looking back now, yeah it took practicing yoga to clear that up for me and to allow myself to not basically lie to myself in order to continue doing my hamster wheel spins. It's some powerful shit really, isn't it yoga? Like seriously, aren't we lucky that we found it? I just think like it's so unlikely that I, that my parents enrolled me in yoga as a kid. So unlikely that I got there, but Oh man, it's the best thing ever. I'm so grateful. All right. So tell us then, for people who are uh, maybe people who are starting out or people who are doing that corporate thing of I go to work and then I, for me it was I teach three classes a week after work to survive. For you it was like a yeah. you know, but for people who are maybe still a foot in both camps, yeah. What do you think what was what are some of the maybe a couple of the bigger challenges that that you've faced in making that transition? 
Yeah. Well, um, when I made the transition, it was quite gradual. I, you know, first I, I moved out of New York City and I continued my work as a telecommuter and that gave me some free time, but I was still technically full time. Yep. Then I started pairing back and I became freelance in the advertising world. So that gave me a kind of taste of the entrepreneurship. Yep. Um, and at the same time, I was starting to teach. And I was also exploring other entrepreneurial projects. So wow. I actually launched, I, I, I played with my other passions. You know, I had, I was really interested in, I love drinking kombucha and I started getting interested in brewing it. And when I started brewing it, here's another example of something where I saw a problem and I was like, okay, let me see if I can create a solution around here that I can monetize. So Brewing kombucha, if you've ever tried it, it usually takes quite a long time because you have to wait for the, the sugars to ferment. Yeah. You stick this like monstrous looking um, symbiotic yeah. culture in there and it eats the sugars and turns them into acid, but it takes several weeks. What I found is that if it's warmer, then it happens faster. So I, I created a little product that you could wrap around your jar, your fermentation vessel, and keep it warm and control the temperature. And I launched this little business that I sold exclusively on Amazon called Cumbrewery. And I kept that going for a while. And it was like my first time um, wow. successfully you know, generating some passive income. So that was fun. Um, Can people still buy it? Does it still exist? It doesn't exist anymore. I decided to stop doing it once I went fuller into yeah. teaching yoga and traveling and all of that. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it served me and it served many, um, many happy customers for <laughs> like two years. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So that was part of my transition, you know, playing around, trying different things. There were definitely um, businesses that failed too. Like I had a, a little online e-com store that I tried this like drop shipping method and it didn't feel good and, and, and it wasn't fun. And it actually, it stole my energy even worse than working for someone else. So wow. yeah, I stopped doing that. But um a healthy sense of curiosity and playfulness around it kept me feeling light and good and um, and energized to keep going. And I think it's actually really great for people that have a job and are also teaching yoga because it takes the financial pressure off of the teaching, mm -hmm. which can it it can compromise it. You know, yeah. if you're feeling super stressed about it, um, you don't want to get to the point. You know, to each every person has their own limit. But for me, I don't. I don't ever want to get to the point where I have to teach like, you know, 15 classes in a week because I can't give my best in them. I'm yeah. much happier around like seven classes. Yeah. And then that gives me time to have some private clients, which generates more income, teach some workshops, go travel, go, go do guest workshops, other places. And, yeah. you know, the thing about that is, I think there is a myth out there that you have to be like super experienced 30 year teacher in order to go travel and teach. It's just not the case. You know, I, I started, I started teaching in other places right after I did my first teacher training. I had already been teaching a little bit without a certification. Don't tell, don't tell us yoga yeah, or whatever, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I went to go on a tour and it gave me a ton of experience. And, um, you know, some of those places I was doing a special workshop. Some of them, I was just a resident teacher for, for two weeks and the studio owner helped me out, find a place to stay either with them or at the studio. And that really just immersed me in the practice, took me out of my normal, uh, comfortable context and gave me room to play and learn. I think one of the things that I'm hearing you say, similar to what Danny Pomplin was saying about how it's sort of about making the decision. Actually, this is my profession now. 
And like any other profession, I'm going to do what I need to do such that when I graduate, I can actually go, I don't need to, I've done the training. It's my vocation and I'm going to work it like a profession and go get better on the job so that I can, like it doesn't have to be this extended truncated apprenticeship where I don't take myself seriously for years. Yes. Uh, Fully. Jump in, but you can still have, high expectations of yourself. I mean, what I'm getting from that, the competitive stuff that you did is that's about self-standard. And so mm-hmm. I don't think you're the type of person who's going to show up and be sloppy about something. You, you can still expect high standards of yourself and use that as a way to compel yourself forward. And, and like you're saying about those studio owners to get you better faster. Yes. Hold the high standard for yourself, hold the high vision for yourself, just as you do for your students, yeah. but perfectionism kills you, stops you dead in your tracks, and that's not helping anyone. It's one of my mentors talks about perfectionism as actually as a form of laziness because it means you don't have to go do the things. If you waited till you're, yeah. you are just wait around because it's never going to come. Yeah, because yeah, you'll wait forever. Yeah. So many, so much good stuff in this conversation. You should have a podcast. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say it again. Folks, go and subscribe, Dharma Talk, leave a review, like at least give some stars, five of them. Um, yeah. And, and it's funny you mentioned Danny because he's actually going to be a guest on Dharma Talk. We're scheduled to speak next week. He's hella Small funny. funny. <laughs> I think we've done a podcast exchange and then he's to help me out with a bunch of stuff. Very cool, talented guy. Um, yeah, cool guy. I have not met him in person yet. I laughed too much when I interviewed him. I can't help myself. Bad. Um, okay, so let me just see. What else... Oh, so right now your business is comprised of you teach your classes, you teach, you travel and teach, work, but you, you do, um, you have people can sign up and listen to some online stuff. There's going to be online classes that are coming and you also do yes. still offer one-to-ones. I'm interested to know about your, how you offer are the one-to-ones virtual or are they in person? How does that work? Um, the one-on-one. I have offered virtual one-on-ones before. Typically, I do them in person. Um, cool. You can definitely get a lot done in, in person, uh, or sorry, virtually, but um, it's a special connection when you're working with someone face-to-face yes. and, and you can see their body move and be there and breathe together and all of that. Um, virtually, I, I've made it work, but I prefer for, for one-on-one since the whole goal of it is to have that intimate connection is to do it face-to-face. Who would you describe your, how, what, what, who, who are your current teachers, Henry, given the sort of way, the, where you've come from and what's happened? My current teachers, yeah. Um, so uh, I learned the Bikram from the, the Bikram lineage from a lot of different teachers. Yep. Um, but actually my wife was one of my teachers. I know that's another no-no is you're not supposed to date your students, but that happened and we ended up getting married. I guess it was okay. I think it's okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I also learned, you know, if, if you go deeper into the rabbit hole of the Bikram school, you get into the Ghosh lineage, which is what the Bikram class is actually distilled down from. There's a, a longer list of postures and they call that, they used to call it the Bikram advanced class. Yes. And I attribute a lot of my asana development to practicing that class once a week for many years. My teacher of that class was a woman named Gloria Suen, who also went through the uh, yoga competition circuit and was an international champion twice, actually. Wow. Um, 
So she was one of my teachers. Uh, and then um, Ashtanga, I've learned from a teacher here in New York named Michael Gu, and also from Kino McGregor. Um, I've studied with her in person and online. She's got quite a lot of, she's very prolific online. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as, and then Dharma Mitra, you know, he's a living legend who okay. still owns and operates his school in Manhattan, yeah. still teaches three or four times a week at yeah. 80 years old. He's turning 80 this weekend. Oh, this weekend, wow, wow. He's, yeah, they're having a big celebration for that. Um, and then teachers, who developed my teaching again veronica my wife was very instrumental in giving me feedback along the way we've we've taught and traveled together quite a lot which is been, you know, yeah you can't you can't put um a value on that it's just totally uh you can't yeah there's nothing better than that wow. and then the teachers who really developed my teaching apart from her are jared mccann who led my teacher trainings mm -hmm. and um, Rose Aaron Vaughn, who has taught me a lot about the energy body. Uh, oh. she, she has this very, very unique set of knowledge combining traditional Chinese medicine with the yoga. So oh. she's integrated that into something, her own personal brand called Science of Self. And I've studied with her quite a lot too. Cool. It's, don't, I don't know if you find this, but it's like the more you, the more I study, the more I'm interested in picking out the smaller details, like pursuing those little threads of, oh, this thing yeah. going there and that thing. Yeah. And I think you yeah. said that it was in your bio about, okay, it starts with the physical, but then it doesn't take long before, hmm, hang on. I'm yeah. I mean, yoga is all about starting at the very gross and gradually going subtler and subtler and subtler. And I think, you know, not only in our self-exploration is that pertinent, but also in our, our practice and study and development as teachers. It's the same thing. Yes, yes. First, it's just, okay, turn your right foot out, bend your right knee, to, and then it actually, yeah, you're right. As a teacher, you do get into the, you can read more from students, you can pick up on, you're more sensitive to what's actually going on. Well, that, I think yeah, and just like you said, like you go subtler in, in your area of interest and in your area of, of, um, of deep exploration. Yeah. Perry, it's been so good talking to you. Is there anything else that you want to tell us before we finish up? Anything that I haven't asked you yet? So many cool things here. <laughs> um, you know, the only thing I want to say is, is thank you so much for inviting me on to be a part of this. I think it was um, really nice to be on the other side of the, the interview <laughs> for a change. It was fun for me. And um, I wish you the best. I think what you're doing is great to kind of uh, level up the conversation or bring more awareness to the conversation around the business of yoga because it shouldn't be a bad word. It shouldn't be taboo. This is just an exchange of energy that is required to survive in this, um, in this modern society. So it's all good and thank you. Someone tweet that. Like, just that was awesome. Thanks, Henry. You have been such a great guest. You, uh, um, you, yeah, you should get more geeks being interviewed. Because you're good at it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Hey, Dharma Talk community. If you enjoyed this podcast and you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button right now. And if you'd like to show your support even more, leave me an honest review on iTunes or whatever podcast directory you listen on. You can also make a financial contribution to keep the show up and running, a donation at henrywins.com. 
And remember, I'm here to serve you. So if you have any questions or comments or ideas, you can always reach me on Instagram at 